Hello, and welcome to the podcast of the Central Church of God, located at 5120 Central Avenue, Portage, Indiana. Here, you can listen to Sunday service by Pastor Robert Sluter. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want more information about our church, please feel free to contact Pastor Robert at 219-963-8496. Thank you, Robert, my friend, for inviting me to share this word today. I have a, a, a ton, of, ton, of, ton of messages, I suppose, over the last 39 years that I've been sharing from the book. And, and, you know, sometimes you'll go back and you'll find one and you'll pitch one out. And that's not the case today. I couldn't get this off my mind. I asked the Lord, what do I need to share today? What are these people, you know, they get wonderful Bible teaching every week already. They're probably already steeped in the word. What in the world do I need to share today? And what can I give them that would be helpful? You've heard the old adage, the phrase, the devil's in the details. Who's ever heard that? The devil's in the details. Come on, be honest. We don't talk about the devil much in here, but you've heard the phrase, the devil's in the details, right? You probably said that somebody. You've heard the phrase, the devil's advocate, right? You're the devil's advocate, right? When you want to say something negative, we don't celebrate the devil, but the devil's in the details is kind of a from an old German-American architect, and the analogy behind that, um, the idea behind that, it's kind of a, um, this concept that once you dig into the details, they're messy, and they're probably going to cause problems. Well, I'm not here today to talk about the devil in the details. I am here today to tell you about God is in the details. Now, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what kind of stuff goes on in your world, but this I know, the world in which we're living in is jacked up. Now, I'm an old Georgia boy, transplanted up north, went back down to Tennessee, and jacked up means it's messed up to the max, right? Now, I don't care what party or deciding factor you're on. I'm here to tell you, humanity is in trouble. But there is a God, amen. And his name is Jehovah, amen. And there's only one God, amen. And he is Yahweh, all right? And he is Jehovah, okay, and he's here with us today. Let me read two passages of Scripture for you. I want you to stand with me, if you will, while I read these two passages of Scripture. My daddy has been in my mind for the last couple of days. I went to lunch with uh, Robert and his dad, and uh, Pastor Robert, sorry. I went to lunch with him and his dad, and and I I sat there, and I thought, man, this is good. Robert's my friend, and I miss my dad, so I'm in good company, you know. And so uh, my dad always did this. He had us all to stand when he wanted to read a passage of Scripture, and I guess it just got a hold of me, but I'm going to read two, two passages this morning first, Jeremiah chapter 30, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you, let's ground this over in the New Testament, we'll go all the way over to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 28 through verse 31. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not two of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? And the very hairs of your head, everybody touch the hair on your head, 
Sorry, Robert, you ain't got much up there, but it'll be okay. And some others of y'all, y'all missing some too, but it's okay. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Father, in the next few minutes, would you take this book and this word, and will you open it? Open it, Lord, to the hearts and minds of people that will hear this today live, those that might be at home, those that might be catching this down the road. I pray, God, that you would open heaven in this house. Let your glory come. Rest upon us, Lord. Transform and change us in your name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right, you can take a seat if you wish, or you can stand. I'm going to be up for a while either your choice. You know, I've never really heard anybody preach about the number of hairs on your head. And as I got to thinking about what should I share today, the Lord just kind of gave me that phrase, God is in the details. And I don't suppose there's a scripture in the Bible that's more affirming of that or confirming the truth of that than the fact that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute. If the average person, just the average person, right, I know that some of y'all are above average and I'm usually below average, but, but the average person, here it is, the average person is born with about 100,000 hairs attached somewhere beneath the scap of their head, and most of the time, those will come out. Now, usually you start losing hair, men, at about 30. We never would say when women lose hair because we're just not going to go there. But here's the reality, all right? My wife, 35 years, we've been married in July, 35 years, she has recently decided to go outside and brush her hair outside. You know why she does that, Robert? Not because she loves the sun in the morning, but because my wife has been, she probably watched this, and I'll probably be in trouble, but it'll be okay. She actually, when she combs her hair, she's losing her hair. Now, she's not losing it rapidly, and she's got hair on her head, and it's all good, and there's nothing taking it away. But the reality is, over the course of life, our hair begins to fall out. Now, for those of you that are blonde, naturally blonde, right, in the room, good news for you, you got about 150,000 hairs on your head when you start. For those redheads, sorry about it, Josh, you only got about 90. Somewhere for the black and brown hair, folks, you're somewhere in that 110 to 120,000. And if you were born gray, God bless you. I don't know how that happened, but it's okay. I don't even know what the number is. William, are you really here in Portage, Indiana, preaching to me about the hair on my head and which color I have? Yeah. Because when you were in your mother's womb, according to Psalms 139, and the Creator fashioned you and formed you and made you into His likeness, it wasn't for your good, it wasn't for your gain, it wasn't for you to feel good about it. It was so that God would make you as a living, written epistle of the good news of the Messiah and the good news of Jesus Christ to a world in chaos. My dad pastored churches for 51 years, and I remember growing up, and listening to my dad preach, and I remember as time would go on, and my dad couldn't read very well. He was going blind, and, and my mom would read the scripture, and then my dad would, would, would paraphrase what she said. And I remember the power of my dad whenever God was anointing him, and he'd begin to preach from the book. He'd begin to tell story after story after story in the book of the principles of God. So today I want to go back to Jeremiah and I want you to catch this reality for just a moment and understand that God is wanting you and I, understanding according to Corinthians, that we are a written epistle, read and seen of all men. Sometimes we're the only Bible that other people will read. So when they flip the pages of your life, what are they reading? 
That's convicting to me. Especially the moment that I got agitated when I was sitting behind somebody at a red light and I blew my horn. Or that time whenever I got frustrated at somebody else and I acted out in a way that I thought, man, if they actually knew me, it would be a bad day for me. True story. One day I was a young, young preacher and, and uh, I used to drive a school bus. And when I drove the school bus, there was this guy that was driving towards me one day and he was just dumb in his driving and he just about ran me off the road and I yelled out the window of my bus. I didn't cuss him, Josh, but I yelled out the window of my bus and I said something to him. I don't remember what it was. Maybe I hope your babies are born bald or something. I don't know. But I was mad and I yelled out the bus at him. One time I pulled up to a, or I was at a red light and there was this lady at a red light and I used to mow grass while I was a youth pastor and tried to make a living by mowing grass and driving school buses and, and, and the reality is I, I pulled up and, and there was this lady that had a cigarette and she threw it out the window right in front of my mower and I lost it. Now I'm a youth pastor, I'm a preacher of the gospel and I lost it and I was like, hey lady! And she looked at me, and I got off my mower, and I started walking to her. And I started telling her, do you understand what happens when you throw that cigarette butt out of your mouth, out of your car, and the filter, and the blades of my mower? And I was giving her a scientific dissertation on how many times that the blower rotation would happen and how long the filter would stay under there. And I would get all of this nasty filter. I'm yelling at this lady. She's rolling her window up, praying that the light turns green. True story. I got up to preach one Sunday at my church when my pastor wasn't there, and the guy that I yelled at from the school bus was actually sitting in the auditorium. Let me help you understand something. People are reading your life every single day. What are they reading? Now, I'm not going to tell you you can't ever lose it. I'm going to tell you you need to be saved when you lose it. You need to stay saved in the losing process. Right, because if you don't stay saved and losing it, we all have frustrating days. I mean, yesterday, Pastor Robert was a little frustrated. I was enjoying the hour and a half tour around Indianapolis before we could get on the right road to come home. There's a lot of construction over there, right? It's okay. Understand something today. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. We're all human. To think you're not is you're dismayed. But to understand that my humanity and my frailty is, hallelujah, when it is controlled by the deity and the authority and the power of God, then I am a reflection of him. I love to talk to students in the classrooms, and I talk to them about the, dis the distinct difference between reflection and refraction. And there's probably some scientists in this room, and you probably understand this. But if you're a fisherman, any fisherman in here? You like to fish, right? You get those polarized glasses, and those are the best, man, because you can look down, and you look past the surface of the water, and you see where that fish is at, and you, you don't probably fish with a cane pole. You probably one of them boat bass fishermen. But I used to fish with a cane pole, and I'd look and see where the fish were, and I would throw that right where I thought the fish were at. But because of the law of refraction, once you do that, once you cast that, what you think is that hook right where that school of fish might be, because of the law of refraction, there's called a distorted perception, and they could be up to 18 to 24 inches away from where you perceive them to be. Now, William, what in the world are you talking about? Follicles of hair. Redheads have less hair than blondes. What are you talking about? Fishing with polarized glasses. 
Let me just talk to you from my heart this morning. I didn't come with a super prepared message. I came with a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and hopefully in obedience to His Word. And I want you to grab a hold and understand something today. God has not forgotten you and God is in the details. Now listen to what I'm telling you. All the way through Scripture, when God had to deal with the children of Israel and their repeated failures and their coming back to Him over and over and over again, God would say, I am for you. God would say over and over and over, I am for you. I know where you are. I know where you're headed. I know where you've been. I know where you're going that you don't even know where you're going. And I am for you. The world is already so jacked up in the perception of reality that God is now becoming visibly noted by people who previously would ignore him. Why is that? Because they're recognizing that God is in fact an image, a person, the Jehovah. He is the one. He is the only answer when every other answer is a simple Distraction, desolate, destroyed image of who God is. But then people are recognizing that there is a God and his name is Jehovah and there's only one. You say, William, we know all that stuff. Why are you preaching that to us today? Well, it's quite simple. Because what I want you to grab a hold of and I want you to understand today is that your preaching and your receiving and your worship in this building is to equip you that when you exit this place that God is already positioning you with a divine appointment for others to get to know him. I want to think about God and knowing how many hairs are on my head. I got to think about this idea of Samson and Nazarite who actually is not supposed to cut his hair. It was a vow, a covenant. But then when his hair was cut, you don't think God didn't know every little piece of particle of hair that fell off his head? You think God doesn't know when my wife Angela combs her hair and that one little flock comes out of her hair, not, not 10, not 20, I ain't counting past one, and that one little flock comes out, you understand something, all of a sudden God calculates that, God puts that somewhere in his memory. You know something, when all of a sudden someone who's suffering from cancer and radiation has to take a hold of their body and their hair begins to fall out, let me help you understand something, there is not a single one of those pieces of the follicle of the hair that fell out of that head that God did not take note of. I think about David. You don't talk about God in the details. How about the details of this? Every three steps, why don't you take a minute and praise me? Oh, my goodness. What, 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 what in the world? One, two, three. Excuse me while I pause and worship him. One, two, three. Excuse me while I take a little while to tell him I'm thankful. One, two, three. Hold on a minute while I am reminded that God's faithfulness is not contingent upon my obedience or my disobedience because he is Jehovah and he is faithful. Wow. I think about the man with the scales on his eyes and Jesus healed him and the scales fell off. What did he do with the scales, Pastor? You're the theologian in the house. Tell me what he did with the scales. The book doesn't tell us, but if it were me, I'd have picked them up and I'd have put them in my pocket. And when I'm walking around in the, in the city square, I'd have pulled those scales out and say, look right there. You think those are pretty gross? You think that's nasty? Let me tell you something. That used to be right here. But because Jesus touched me, I now can carry those down here because they no longer block me from being able to see up here. 
God is in the details of your life, and he has not forgotten you. I reached back this morning to get this passage of Scripture to share with you today, and in the in the, in, the, in the sidebar of my, I have a lot of notes in my Bible, and in the sideline of my Bible, I have the initials of a spiritual father, and I have a, a date all the way back of 4.13.03. 4.13.03. And the scripture is this, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteousness and my right hand. You think God doesn't know where you are? Oh, yeah, we all know that God knows where we are. But here's the problem. When we start having difficulty and challenges, all of a sudden the enemy wants to tell us, see, God has forgotten you, but I'm here to tell you, like God told the children of Israel, be not dismayed. I have not forgotten you. I know where you are, and I am on your side. If you ever just get bored and want to read something, most people don't read Leviticus when they're bored. Probably Hebrews chapter 11 won't hurt you. But when you go read Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to get and you're going to see the chronicles of faith of men and women who had given their life to God. And all of a sudden, God began to do the miraculous, not just around them, but through them. You say, William, you, 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 you've got a pretty good life. Well, you don't know my life. And I don't know yours. We're talking about my children earlier today or, or yesterday, and I got three, three sons and three daughter-in-laws and three grandbabies, and man, ain't nothing like it for all the grandparents in the room. Kudos to you, and for all those of you trying to have children for the sake of your grandparents, go ahead and do it, right? We don't hate it. We love it. Have as many, have as, many as we can have, right? Why? Because you're writing a book. <laughs> Listen to what I'm telling you. I want you to understand something today. God, right now, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how he does it. But of all of us in the room and every other person on the face of the earth, God knows about the book that he's writing. He knows about the book that he's writing about us. He knows about the book that he's writing about us and where we are hurting and where we are lonely and where we are discouraged. But God says, don't worry about where you are right now. Pay attention to where I'm going to take you because where I'm taking you is not really going to matter where you have come from. It just matters about where you're going. My wife and I lost our first child. My son Tyler and Megan have lost a child and my third son and his wife are trying to have children. They've lost three in the womb in the last 22 or 23 months. What in the world are you saying, William? I'm telling you, your heart's desire and your heart's cry and the want deep inside of you and what you want more than anything, God already knows before you can ever tell him and he's already aligning it whether or not you might receive it here or whether you might receive it there. To me, I understand this. Yet though he slay me, I will trust him. Hallelujah. Interesting passage of the book of Job, and I, I don't think about Job that often. You know, Job is kind of one of those ideas in Scripture where people think it's kind of a fictitious character. I believe it to be true. I have a son that went to school, or not a son, I have a, a, a spiritual son that God's raising up. But there's a, a young boy that went to Lee this last year, and he was in my gateway class, and he's a, he's a freshman of the year baseball player, and he's a pro baseball player possibility. This boy is incredible. 
And as we sat on the last day of class and I sat across the table from each of my students one by one and I talked with them about where God's taking them and what's happening and is there anything that we can clear up about the class. And we got to talking to this kid named Malachi. And when I got to talking to Malachi, I looked at him and he looked at me and he kind of looked blank faced. And I said, tell me about your faith. And he said, I don't have any. And I said, I know. I read your autobiography. Let's talk about it. He said, well, I'm here to play baseball. I didn't come to Lee because I know a church that has its name attached to Lee. I came to Lee because I'm a good baseball player. As a matter of fact, I'm on a scholarship to play baseball. And I said, well, tell me more, Malachi. And he said, well, he said, I never really went to church. My parents aren't churchgoers. And he said, I just not something I have ever really done. And then he paused and I paused. Let me help you understand something. A moment of silence, a two minutes of silence is not your enemy in the world which we're living in. And God puts you in proximity and standing right firm in front of somebody. Don't try to rush the moment. God might be speaking into their heart. You not even know it. And if you're too busy, you might miss the moment. I looked at him and he looked at me and about two minutes passed. And he looked at me and he said, Dr. Lamb, he said, I've been watching you this semester. He said, I think you're real. I said, okay, Malachi, thank you for that. He said, it's not that I don't want to know God. I just have never had an invitation to know God. I didn't put him on his knees and call all the sin out of his life and convict him right there. I just reached up to the cabinet where I was sitting and pulled out a little notebook and I just feel the Lord in this room, Pastor Robert. And I slid it across the table, and I took a pen out of my desk, and I tossed it over to him, and he's a good catcher. He plays right field, and he caught that pen. It was like only two inches of a toss, but he caught it. But anyway, I said, open up this book, and I want you to write the word SOAP in an acronym form, and I want you to put S-O-A-P, and Malachi writes S-O-A-P. And I said, leave some lines between the, the three letters, and, and all of a sudden he writes those out there, and I said on the... S, I want you to write the word scripture. On O, I want you to write observation. On A, I want you to write application. And on P, I want you to write prayer. He doesn't ask me why. He just writes those words, and then he looks at me. And I said, this is called a soap journal. And so what this is, Malachi, is every day of your life from today forward, what I want you to do is I want you to get this notebook out. Now, when this notebook is full, come back, and I'll give you another one. But I want you to get this notebook out, and I want you every day. Do you have a Bible, Malachi? He said, yeah, I got a Bible, but I've never really read it. And he said, I got one. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put that Bible on your desk, and I want you to get that book out, and I want you to pick a scripture. And I want you to read the scripture, and I want you to write that scripture. How do you observe what's that scripture saying? What do you think the application of that scripture is? And I want you to write out a prayer. Just yesterday, I got another check mark from Malachi. I hadn't got one today, but I'll get it somewhere today. Because I made a deal with Malachi. I said, Malachi, every time you write this in this soap journal, I want you to send me a green check mark on, on a text. And every time I get that green check mark, it's letting me know that you're digging into this book. You see, God may not want you to call every sinner down to their knees in the front of you and everybody else. God just might want you to be Jesus in front of them. Now, if i got to rebuke the devil, I'm not afraid to do that, and I will do that. But when I'm dealing with people who don't know Jesus, I'm just trying to get them to understand that they can see him in me. And all of a sudden, I started getting these texts, one right behind the other, one right behind the other, one right behind the other. And in December, before Malachi goes home, he comes back and he says, you know that devotional book you gave me to go along with that journal? I said, yeah. He said, you got an extra one? He said, I've been about two weeks in this, and it's amazing when you can look through the lens of Scripture and see how our life really should look. 
Hold on, you didn't catch that. It's amazing when you can look through the lens of Scripture and see how life is really supposed to look. I'm not sure I even caught that yet. He said, when you look through the lens of Scripture, stuff is different than you think it is because when you're looking through the lens of Scripture, it makes more sense. I sent Malachi a number a while back, like 2,000 and something. He ran me back a question mark. He said, what's that? I said, that's the number of yellow or green check marks I'm going to get from you between now and your graduation. He and I were talking recently, and he said to me before he left town to go home for the summer break, he said to me, he said, will you be praying for my parents? He said, I believe that God can help them see him. You see, here's this kid who now has a covenanted relationship with God. And as a matter of fact, he showed me his phone at lunch, and he's also getting check marks from his peers. This is a convert less than six months. This is a convert less than eight months. This is a convert who has found Jesus and wants others to know about him. He sent me a text a couple of days ago, and he said, Hey, Dr. Lamb, my brother is doing the soap journals. We were talking before he left, and he said, I come in at night to the dorm, and it's awesome because when I look over on the, on the table, and the dorms aren't very big, very big. They're about the size of half of the stage. And he said, when I look over on the, on the counter at, the, at my roommate's side, he said, I see he's got his Bible open and his soap journal sitting there. He said, William, what in the world are you talking about? Follicles of hair, sunglasses and refraction, check marks on your phone. Because I came to Portage, Indiana, I think, for this reason. To remind you of a couple of things. What you've been doing for the kingdom of God, don't quit doing. And what the enemy has got you so confused and you're doubting whether or not it can happen, God says it can. You see, I can preach my whole life and not have a convert in a church. But sometimes if I live my life outside the building, God's going to give me a convert. Now, I believe the day is coming when people are going to run to this house. They're going to run to anywhere where the Christ is lifted up. They're going to run anywhere where the cross is lifted up and Jesus is magnified because the Scripture talks about they're going to get to that cross. I believe there's a coming a day when people are going to come in this building and they're going to be lost and they're going to need God. And all of a sudden the faith that is boiling in this room is going to become so contagious that other people around you are like, man, i got to have some of that. I want some of that. That's what happened to Malachi. And what Malachi taught me on that very valuable day is that the power of God, he didn't tell me this. He didn't know how to say it. But what God taught me that day is that the power of God is greater than anything I can or cannot profit up with. It's easy for me to lead you through the Scripture. I can take you to Romans chapter 3. I can take you all the way through. I can give you all kind of information about the Bible. I can tell you how to find Jesus. I can tell you all of that. But all of a sudden, when the warmth of the Holy Spirit comes into the room and somebody begins to experience the power of God in their own life, it begins to be transformational. And my job is simply to get out of the way and celebrate what God is doing in them. I know the number of hairs on your head even when they fall out. I know the number of pain strikes in your heart that nobody else can see. I know the prayers that you've been praying that have not yet been answered that you have not quit praying, says the Lord. I know the hurt and the faces that you lay down at night and all of a sudden the faces of those who have wounded you somehow begin to go across the memory of your mind. The Lord says, I know that when you forgive them, I can forgive you. 
I know that every dollar you've spent, every dime you've given, everything that you've done in the name of God in this house has not been done in vain. I know that whenever you think that you have an idea of where I'm going, but all of a sudden I take you a different direction, I know that if you will trust me, you will see that I know what I'm doing. You know what the problem, Pastor Sluter, with this church is? (laughs) Everybody's quite listening now. The human factor, as is the same problem with any and every other church that I've ever been in. For 38 years, I've preached the gospel in 28 countries. I've been in the smallest crowds and imaginable of maybe two, and I've been in crowds of tens of thousands, singing and worshiping and honoring Jehovah. But here's what I know. It doesn't really matter which crowd size you're in. What matters is whether or not you are in his hands and he is holding you in his grip. You know, God gave me a very strong anointing a few years ago, and I don't really understand why, but he gave me an anointing to proclaim this, that your latter years will be greater than your former. Now, that's a wonderful cliche for preachers, and preachers can say that, and people who have strong houses of faith, boy, they can get all excited about my, my latter years are greater than my former. I might take a little bit longer to get to the altar, but my latter years are greater than my former. You may not even be able to get to the altar, but your latter years are greater and your former. You may not even have the energy to give or to move or to do anything, but God says what you're about to step into is greater than what you've ever experienced. Let me help you understand something. Prayer is not a secondary part of the Christian experience. It's a primary part of every relationship that you have with God. Prayer is not something that is secondary. It is essential to ever experiencing anything from God. Did you know that there are people that are praying for you right now that probably you don't even know are praying for you? I got a list of people that I don't really, I don't really dislike too many people, but I got a short list of a few people that really agitate me, and I really do pray for them. Did you know that God doesn't normally take the ones home to heaven that we think he should? <laughs> it's true, right? Every pastor has a hit list. God ain't always pulling off that hit list, right? Pastor Sluter, don't, because he's a man of love. But my daddy had a hit list for 51 years, and I hear my daddy praying. He's like, God, why'd you take that person when this one over here is annoying? God never told him, so he just started loving the annoying one, and the annoying one then become the serving one. What are you saying, William? This sounds really out there. No, what it is is I came to Portage, Indiana today, I think for this reason. To remind you, I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your mind. But I am sure of what's going on in the atmosphere. And what's going on in the atmosphere is a God of promise and a God of authority. If he says he will do it, take my word, he will do it. I'll never forget my youngest son who... At the time, was two years old, and we was at church, and my wife was about to go on the stage at Mother's Day, and my son was being a little bit louder, a lot louder, just two-year-old, just hateful loud. So I took him out into the lobby, and I said, Ben. I sat him down. I said, Ben, 
I said, you need to be, I was being real like Jesus, man. You need to be real quiet. Your mama's in there trying, and you, you're just making all kind of noise. And all of a sudden, somebody come running into church, and I was associate pastor, and they said, Pastor Lamb, and I forgot that my little two-year-old son was in there, and I just got through scolding him, and all of a sudden now I got to go be a caregiver for somebody else. They said, uh, this kid, he, um, there's a wreck out in front of the church, and so I run out there, and all of a sudden when I run out there, there's like two roads into the church, one on one side, one on the other, and all of a sudden Ben, uh, ben runs out behind me, and I don't know it. And there was a kid that was leaving because he forgot it was Mother's Day, and he's going to the store to buy his mama a gift there in church. Now listen to this. All of a sudden, that car that was going to see, going, going, going to the store to get some uh, a gift for his mother, Benjamin had kind of made his way behind this kid whose name's David, made his way behind his little Mustang car. And all of a sudden, I heard this curdling scream as I'm headed towards that crash out on the road, and I turn around, and all of a sudden, I hear these people yelling, "He's under your car! He's under your car! He's under your car!" And I watched my son Ben roll out from under the car. All of a sudden, he's just laying there from about waist under the car, waist out, just a very small little frame of a boy. And all of a sudden, the boy David in his car, when he heard somebody slap on the back of his car, he thought they were telling him to go, and he drove off. And I watched him as he drove over my son Ben and over his legs. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget it. And I run, and I grab Ben, I pick him up, and he's got a knot on his head, and his legs are bleeding, and he's just crushed, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, God, what in the world? And the only thing I know to do is we ran into the church, and we get into the church, and Ben had been disrupting the whole service already. Well, now he really was disrupting the whole service because we walked to the front of that church, and all of a sudden everybody got around him, and they began to pray for Ben. And by now the people that came for that wreck in the ambulance, they came and took Ben. They took him to the hospital. And all I can tell you, to this day, he's 29 years old, and he can run, he can play, he can walk, he can do whatever he wants to do because the healing power of Jesus Christ is the God who put a bridge over my little boy. You say, how do you think it was a bridge, Dr. Lamb? Because the guy who wasn't saved, Mr. Wilson, that lived right behind the church, who was one of those honorary people, that was giving us a fit because we parked on next to his grass. And all of a sudden, Mr. Wilson got a hold of my mother-in-law's phone number. There was no cell phones back then. It was just a rotary dial, right? And we was at my mother-in-law's house, and he called. And, and all of a sudden, he said, Pastor Lamb. He said, I told my wife this morning that church wasn't doing no good because there was all kind of hell parties last night. And he said, but I watched an angel lay down over your little boy when that car drove over him and made a bridge over your little boy. You think God ain't in the details? Let me tell you why he's in the details. You know why an angel need to lay over Benjamin? And even though Ben and Lexi have lost three children in the womb, this last week they took in a 15-year-old kid who they were able to have a safe harbor for 10 days for this kid's life. You think God ain't in the details? If you don't believe it, believe it today for the first time. And if you have believed it, don't forget it. And remind yourself of all the stuff that God can and will do in your life. Now, I don't know how y'all, I'm probably a little bit longer than y'all normally go already. Here's what I know. I think we need to have some prayer time. You say, William, you're a little odd, right? No, I don't care. Here's what I believe. It's easy to forget God. It's easy, especially Christians. 
We're so consumed by God and Scripture and the Bible and the artifacts of church and all of that stuff. It's, it's easy to forget God. No, it's easy to forget God can do for you what you're believing Him to do for somebody else. Oh, I got faith for somebody else. I got a mustard seed. How many's in there? 76 little seeds or something like that? I got, I got 75 little mustard seeds to remind me. God can touch you, and I can believe for God to touch you, but I can't believe for God to touch me. I can believe for God to write your future, but, man, he's done forgot about my future. You tracking with me today? It's so easy, church, for us to believe for somebody else and not believe for ourselves. But I think in this house today, God wants to do a couple things. Number one, he wants to remind you, and I'm guessing he's already been doing that. And what he said to Jeremiah was, I want you to write a book of remembrance. If you go over to Malachi, which is actually an ending of the whole New Testament, you know, in Malachi chapter 4 and 6, and you'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. But if you go a little bit further up in that book, it's interesting to me because it says, write a book of remembrance. A book of remembrance. What's a book of remembrance? Someday when I die, my kids are going to get a stack of journals. And in those stack of journals, they're going to be able to look in those journals and they're going to hear the story about when I told the story in my writing about Benjamin getting run over by the car or when Nicholas was healed of epilepsy or when Tyler was healed of a lung disease and came out of the hospital or whenever my wife said to Dr. Eulen, who wasn't a believer, who looked at my son Ben six months after that crash when it drove over his legs and he said to the young intern in his office, he said, I don't know the God that this family talks about, but all I can tell you is that there is nothing broken in the bones of this little boy and to this day Benjamin has a tire track on his leg to prove it you think God ain't in the details he's in the details you've not yet even seen he is in the details that you have not even acknowledged and don't even know and he's in the stuff before you ever get there if I were to give time this morning, probably every one of you in this room could give a litany of times and moments where you could say, well, God has done this, and God has done that, and God has done this, and God has done that. Well, let me help you understand something. What God wants you to know is written in the book of heaven, but not dead in your book is the stuff he kept you from that you don't even know has not yet happened. The stuff God has saved you from that nobody even knows he kept you from. God is in the details, church. Why does it matter? Because we're walking around in a world that is lost, that needs to see Jesus Christ. And when they read our book, what in the world are they seeing? Stand with me in this room, if you will. And I, I just want everybody that will just to come on forward. Listen, this is an all-call-out altar call. Come on, everybody. You got some music, right, Pastor Saluda? You got some music coming on? I want everybody that will just to walk to the front of this church. Hallelujah. Say, why are you doing this, William? Well, I think the Lord wants me to. That's why. Come on. Just come on. Just come on. <laughs> come on. Just fill it up all the way across the front. Just all the way across. Come on. Everybody that's willing. Everybody that's able. Come on. If you need a chair to sit up here, somebody get you a chair to sit on. That's, that's going to be good. You want to sit on the, on, the, on, on, on the altar, sit on the altar. 